previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. It's just the nature of the game now. It's pedal to the metal the whole time while you're out there. You know, don't leave any energy when you're coming off the mound. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. It's time for episode 58 of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests discuss their connection with sports. And of course, I'm your host, Earl Holland. As a three-sport star and one of the most decorated female athletes in the history of Snow Hill High School, Courtney Keefe has established a resume that led to her being named as a member of the inaugural class of her alma mater's Athletic Hall of Fame. After accomplishing all those feats, what was next on Keefe's to-do list? Leading her alma mater to its first regional title in girls basketball in nearly 30 years. In this episode, Courtney discusses her athletic background, how she became interested in basketball, and how she got into teaching and ultimately coaching. Keefe will also share what famous athletes were major influences on her. And now, my interview with Courtney Keefe. Being able to play three different sports in high school is a really cool thing. Being able to coach your alma mater is even better. My next guest, Courtney Keefe, who I've known since high school, man, we go back almost... I feel like it starts getting up into the 20s, at least like 20s plus years or so. Yeah, that's frightening. It's crazy how time passes. It's like, you know, it's funny. I remember seeing all these little kids that people had and they're like grown adults now. And it's like super, super crazy that now they are having their own kids. Oh, yeah. I had, um, I think, three or four girls on the basketball team this year that their mothers or fathers were either classmates of yours or mine. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, I was just talking to my nephew, he's 22. And it's like, I remember he was like, maybe barely up to my hip. And now he's taller than me. And it's just crazy, because you don't think like, man, where did the time go? And I feel like you miss out a lot on these things, especially like with nieces and nephews, and then they're all older. And now they're working and all that stuff. And it's like, wow, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, time flies. Courtney, you played three sports at Snow Hill High School. How did you get into being such an athletic person? Where did your love for sports begin? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I had three channels growing up, and I played outside a lot, which is, like, I think it's interesting because I think this uh, pandemic is really forcing kids outside, which is kind of cool. But I, I don't know. I started in gymnastics when I was very small, and then did that competitively. And then once I was finished with that, um, my parents kind of let me try anything I wanted. So I took tennis lessons and I um, played softball and then I tried soccer and um, I didn't really play basketball until like seventh or eighth grade really. But I think it was just, I enjoyed it. I liked doing it. I liked trying new things and doing new things. And, um, and then as I started with rec league stuff and then, people would reach out and ask to do travel ball and things like that with mostly softball and soccer. So then that built up and I continued to do travel stuff throughout high school while I was still playing high school varsity sports too. How did you try to balance everything like that? I can only imagine there's not enough time in the world. How were you able to balance travel sports plus grades and things like that? Honestly, I don't know. And I credit my parents because I had two smaller siblings, younger siblings who, um, were along for the ride and they did their own stuff. They played their own sports or, or were involved their own, in their own ways. But um, a lot of it was before I could drive. So my parents got me to and from wherever we all needed to go. And you learn to fit in 
the schoolwork where you can, you know, whether it's uh, in the car on the way or late at night when you get home or whatever. You just kind of learn to do what you got to do. You mentioned gymnastics, I guess, core principles that you learned from gymnastics that you were able to apply to playing other sports. Oh, my gosh. That sport is mental. You really have to. And you're, and it was when I was young. I mean, young young children are trying to figure this thing out. But it's, it is discipline. It's, it's trying new things and probably failing at them the first few times. It's um, trusting your coaches and the people who are spotting you and, and um, kind of pushing through fears in a lot of ways. So I learned a lot from that sport. And it's very individual. You learn about yourself, I think, as a competitor and what your nerves are like and how you handle nerves during a meet and just things like that. There's a team aspect, but it's very much an individual mental sport for sure. Do you ever sort of wonder how far you could have went in gymnastics? I think I went as far as I could have. (laughs) I went um, like level six or something maybe, but I was in like fifth grade. So I was tumbling. I mean, I was doing, you know, backhand spring fulls and doing handsprings and half-ons and stuff on vault. So, um, But yeah, I think you just hit a point where you're like, yeah, that's it for me. Like, I, I'm not necessarily cut out for this. And I wasn't the most flexible kid, so I, like, muscled my way through everything, really. <laughs> and you mentioned playing basketball starting in middle school. How did you find that, mm-hmm. and what did you love about it? I think it was, like, rec stuff, um, like Worcester County Rec League, I think I was doing like indoor soccer at the middle school and then after indoor soccer in the morning, then basketball would start and I kind of like dabbled in that. Um, And then one of my best friends, Kim Gordy, you know her, but that was her sport. So we had become very close friends and kind of, I got into it that way. Um, But I never felt really good at it. Even in high school, maybe by my, junior senior year I finally kind of felt comfortable but I mean my freshman year I I didn't feel like a basketball player I felt like an athlete who was playing basketball what do you feel was the biggest transition to feeling you were a basketball player what did you feel like was the biggest improvement that you needed to make I think it just comes with being comfortable on the court like I think that when it's new to you and I've seen this in my coaching so I've really tried to pull in um, athletes and girls who have maybe never played before at all. And I can kind of coach them from that perspective of there really are a million things to learn in basketball, and it's a very quick game. So, you know, it's fundamentals, but it's it's there's a level of comfort that you have to find on the court that I think it took me some years to find where I wanted the ball. I felt comfortable running the offense or whatever. But I also learned early on that it's about a role. So you have to fulfill your role, whatever that is. So for me, initially, it was defensive, and it was fast breaks, and that was kind of my job. And I knew and still know that I'm not a three-point shooter, but I learned that early on too, is that you know if you have a role, you do that, then you build off of that, and maybe some other things open up for you. What would you say your greatest offensive skill was? Jump shot? Was it post play? I know you mentioned the three point shooting was not your forte. You know, I don't know offensively what I would say was my my strength. I think probably just driving the lane maybe was what it was. And I had an okay short jump shot, but um, yeah, I think just taking it to the rack was fun. Out of the sports that you played in high school, where would you rank them in order of favorite to you know yeah. there in that list? Thing. Um. So I think the most comfortable 
and probably most competitive would be soccer. I love that sport. I still do. Um, but I always was never sure which I was better at. So I felt like soccer and softball were always kind of tied for me. Um, but I like the pace of soccer, but I love the sport of softball as well. So I guess if I had to rank them, especially at that time, it would have been soccer, softball, basketball. Who were some of your athletic influences growing up? Who were some of the athletes that you watched and tried to emulate? Oh my goodness. Um, well, really early on after gymnastics was done and, and playing catch like with my dad in the yard and stuff, but his cousin played for the Minnesota Twins and won two World Series rings. I don't know. Do you know Greg Gagne? Are you familiar with that oh, name? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember him playing for the Royals later on in the 90s. But yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he played with Kirby Puckett and all those guys and uh, the two years that they won the series. So we used to go to games in what was Memorial Park, and then we went to Camden Yards. And I was young, but I was I got to go with my parents, and we stayed for the games, and then – We'd go out to dinner and stuff like that. But I think as a very small kid, he was absolutely my hero. I, I picked number seven and wore that for a long time in, in softball and stuff. Um, but I just looked up to him so much. And then I think once you get more competitive, that was, I mean, 99 was Mia Hamm and, and the World Cup. And every girl soccer player wanted to be somebody on that team. How influential was that World Cup team to you? What did it mean mm -hmm. when you saw them win? I remember we that was a year. That was a really good year for us in high school, too. I mean, I think it was my sophomore year. I'm not sure, honestly. But <clears throat> I don't know. I saw a lot of similarities sort of between those the teams, the success that we had in high school and then kind of the success that they had are obviously not, <laughs> not really comparable. But um, – yeah, I just I liked that team. I remember was watching the part of the World Cup. We were on a, at a youth group thing, and we found a TV and turned it on and kind of watched it together with some of the teammates that were there. And I know when we mentioned athletes you tried to emulate. When you moved on to college, what sports did you play at college, and were you a multi-sport athlete there as well? So I wasn't actually. So I went there. I had some knee issues my junior and senior year of of high school and it was stuff I tried to do with therapy and things like that. So I went to college to play soccer and I made it my freshman year. And then my knee kind of prohibited me from continuing in that sport. So I don't have a lot of regrets. I wouldn't say that it was a regret, but I do wonder what I could have done at the collegiate level had that not happened. How did you get into teaching? I know that you teach now, but what was the biggest draw to teaching? So initially I went to school for, I was going to do sports medicine. I love the idea of being a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or something like that. And then I liked my English class <laughs> and told my mom I was going to change to being an English major. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to, I'll teach and coach. So like the draw for me was always honestly, the ability to also coach. That was like a cool thing for me. But in terms of teaching, I mean, it's just an opportunity to, to touch lives and to try to influence young people in a direction that, you know, you hope is a positive one. And I love building relationships with kids. I think it's probably one of my strengths as a teacher. Um, and then coaching gives you like a different level to that where you can be a mother figure or you can be a mentor in a different way than you can in the classroom. 
so a student taught though in the fall after I graduated college and then student taught till December and then needed to come home because I didn't have any money and honestly didn't think I would stay on the eastern shore I thought I was kind of pit stopping regrouping and then going to go back out but uh here I am what is the biggest lesson that you took from teaching and what is the thing that you feel like also applies to coaching as well oh my gosh I think you learn something new every day teaching honestly I think one of the biggest things maybe is I have learned that you have to kind of take each day and really treat it like a new day. And and what I mean by that is if you have a kid in your class who has a rough day and comes in funky and you guys don't have the best relationship that day, you know, that you then as a teacher have to come in the next day and forget it and, and forgive it and forget it and, and move on. So that's applicable too, I think, to coaching because, you, you know, basketball is a long season and uh, the girls, there's a point where the girls are sick of each other and they're kind of sick of you and they're tired of practice and, you know, you just have to go in every day new and start again. I know you mentioned the grind of a basketball season. How do you change practices up, especially as the season goes along? Uh, well, you know, I try and balance. I think there's a lot to be said for, for certain routines and expectations. Um, but it's just trying to be creative. So once the season actually starts and we're playing game, you know, two games a week or whatever, then my practice is really always based around the things that I saw in the game before or the things that I'm seeing kind of consistently in the last few games. So we'll always do fundamentals every day. We'll work on skills and then we'll work on a certain aspect of the game depending on what's going on, uh, depending on what I'm seeing. So you can do that in creative ways. I mean, around, around Christmas, you know, end of January or something, there's like kind of a wall where you're doing it more creatively with games and competitive stuff between the kids and the girls. And, and I get in there some too. So that lightens it up a little bit, you know, but yeah, I just try and base it on what needs to be worked on. So it's not the same every day. The shooting drills are different, but we're still shooting layups or full court layups can look a million different ways, but they're still sprinting and still doing layups. So it's just creativity, a lot of YouTube for me, and a couple books I have. <laughs> Who are some of your coaching influences? I know that you were able to coach under Coach Gladding at Pocomoke, but who else did you watch the sidelines, boys or girls or male or female coaching did you, that you watched mm-hmm. and try to emulate? You know, I think that um, I've taken something from every coach I've had, whether that was in travel sports or high school, and, whether, and it could be that it worked or that it didn't work that as a teenage girl, I, it worked for me to motivate me or it didn't. And so I've taken something from everybody. But the time that I got to spend with Gail and coaching under her and, and becoming a friend of hers is huge. I mean, her her work ethic and her coaching style are, are things that I always respected, even when I played against her in high school. I thought of her as a really great coach who got a lot out of her girls. And my style is not the same as hers, but there are definitely times that I kind of feel that influence. And I, you know, a practice plan is important. You don't just show up. Pre-game talks and things like that are, are similar. So our styles are different, but I think that she probably, I can say without a doubt, had the largest influence on me as a coach. 
I know that there's this old saying, and I know it's applicable to not only football and basketball but every sport it's sometimes it's not about the x's and o's but it's about the jimmies and joes it's more about instead of being a strategist it's about the people what do you say is your greater strength is it being a strategist or is it being more of a a people person a hundred percent a people person i am learning daily and getting better and better at the x's and o's my assistant coaches this year were nadine bishop who i'm not sure if you're familiar but she's been around for for a long time um, in Snow Hill area coaching. And uh, Todd Lampman is the athletic director, and he stepped up because we had, I had about seven to 10 girls at the end of my first year, which was last season or whatever. And uh, this year I had over 20 come out to play. So it was amazing to see that many girls, but I suddenly realized we needed a JV program um, and a third coach. So he stepped in. Long story short, the two of them were definitely my X's and O's people. They were like, let's try this offense. This is what this will look like. This, will help. this is how this will work. So that initial stage is wonderful to have for me. I'm good at fixing it and adjusting and making adjustments, you know, defensively or, or even offensively. But the initial sort of drawing it up stuff is just not my strength at this time, though, you know, I'll keep working at it, but... When the opportunity came to coach at your alma mater, what was that like? And then were there any hesitation or reluctance to do it at all? No. So I had hoped to actually take over the program at Pocomoke when Gail retired and wasn't given that opportunity. So I then was also transitioning to a different job at the technical high school from Pocomoke and was then offered the position of coaching at Snow Hill. And I didn't hesitate one second. I mean, I, I wanted to coach basketball and I was given that opportunity. And then the idea of doing it at Snow Hill was, was just kind of icing on the cake, but came with a little extra pressure too. you know, the community and building relationships with the community. And like I said earlier, our, our classmates are now parents and that can work two ways. It can be really good. And it could also kind of backfire a little bit. It was good, though, this year. I had a good time. I mean, it was there was no problem. But the nice part about taking over a program that has not won a game in, in two years is that if you believe in yourself and you make a plan and you stick to that, then there's nowhere to go but up. And that first year, I had a really great group of girls who really, truly did not know basketball but bought into the idea of coming every day to practice and getting better and not looking at the scoreboard during a game, but practicing a specific skill in the middle of that game. And I couldn't have asked for a better group to sort of start that foundation for me at Snow Hill. And being able to mold players into what you want to make them into, I think is much easier than just trying to fit a a square peg in a round hole, to use a little cliche. Mm -hmm. And it mm-hmm. worked out well winning your first regional title and the program's first regional title in almost 30 years. What was that feeling like? And when did you know that things were starting to move that direction? It was crazy. I know just at the, you know, with like a minute or so left, it kind of hits you that you go like, I think we might be able to relax now. We might actually have this game. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I remember just having my hands on my head and going like, oh my God. Oh my God. And then, you know, the buzzer sounds and everybody runs and it's a beautiful, magical moment. We lost our last regular season game to Pocomoke by almost 20. And 
the last few games of the season, I wasn't pleased with the way we'd been playing. I felt like we weren't getting better as a team. I felt like individually girls were kind of stagnant, not really getting better. So we had a coaches meeting and I basically said that I wanted to go back. I think that we had focused too much on game play and game situations and gone away from skills or waited a little too heavily on the, on the game aspect. Um, so in that week leading up to playoffs where we actually played Pokemon in the first round, we went back to basics. We did a lot of skills and then we did a little bit of offense and we did a lot of skills and we did a little bit of defense and that whole week was planned out to work against Pokemon and what they had and the types of defense we had to play. And it felt good. So I kind of felt like going into the postseason that things were looking up. I thought I, I felt good about going into that game. And then we ended up beating them by, I think, almost 20. I think it was like a 30-some point difference between the last game of the season and then this playoff game. And because the girls bought into that, I think it just kind of catapulted us forward. And then the next game was Washington High, who that was the only 1A school that we had um, lost both games in the regular season. And again, it was just we practiced with purpose. And I think that that's what made that difference. But every game was like, a, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, not that you can't believe it, but it's just like a, this might happen. This might happen. And then we went to North Dorchester, and they had a girl that scored her 2,000th point against us. That game was too close for comfort, but then at the end it was... And they threw some stuff on us. They did a little bit of a box and one that we hadn't seen, and they played a little bit of a man that we hadn't really seen much of. So it took some adjustments at halftime. But I think the girls, again, like I talked a little bit about that first year and that foundation of our motto was to trust the process. And the girls saw that that kind of paid off this year. And and then it was a then it was more of a mental thing for them. So we had to shift gears between, you know, getting blown out by 20 and 30 against Parkside or Bennett or Decatur and then being competitive and playing to win against 1A schools. And that's a tough shift to make for everybody, but especially competitive teenagers. But I think they did that for the most part. There were a couple of games where we, we hung our heads a little bit about the score, but um, that's the building process. So next year we'll be more competitive with those schools um, and hope to be on top of the 1A schools for sure. And one of the funny things is, well, not funny, but one of the interesting things, you are also a member of Snow Hill's inaugural Hall of Fame class. What was it like receiving that honor? Sometimes an honor that a lot of people would be beyond their 30s of receiving and you received it so early. What did that mean to you? Oh, it was awesome. I was so honored to be thought of and to be nominated for it. And then I think that the fact that it's the inaugural class is probably the most awesome part of it is to think, okay, the, like, you know, they made some statement of the most, the most decorated female athlete or something like that in school's history. And you go like, whoa, I had zero clue that that was a fact. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to play. Like, I just liked scoring goals, and I just liked playing sports. And I was, you know, on successful teams, which was great. But, um, yeah, it's an honor because that school has such a rich history of athletic prowess, you know, in certain phases throughout its history. So to be inducted into that was definitely a monumental moment in my life, for sure. Being able to 
be there, of course, pre-renovation, and now the final renovation. I maybe took a glance inside the school when they were doing the renovation process, which should have been done 20 years ago. But uh, <laughs> I can only imagine walking through those halls now, and it just feels like a completely different place than it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah, man. That, that, the, the entire school is different. You know, same general layout, I guess, but the gym we grew up going to, is now the auxiliary gym and the kids think it's such a small gym and it is smaller than it was when we were there but I kind of want to tell them like guys no like all it's missing are bleachers you know <laughs> like it's uh, the gym that the floor and the gym they get to play in right now and the stadium I mean the stadium outside it's, it's beautiful they're very lucky to be able to to compete on in those spaces for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about your team is I know that every coach will talk about every season, every team is different. What would you say was the strong suit of this year's team? Oh, that is tough. That's tough. I think our success comes from a few things. I think that the girls that returned from the first year, they came back with that understanding of, and that work ethic. And they made sure that the girls who came in knew, knew what was expected and they kind of modeled that. And we had a group of athletic, very athletic girls that came that were actually soccer players for the most part, some volleyball players. And that group of girls was willing to listen and learn and you can't teach athleticism. And then we had a couple freshmen who came in who have played basketball and knew the game and were able to play a crucial role in point scoring for us, which was huge. So the two freshmen carried the weight in terms of points. And then the difference in 1A I think is everyone in school has one or two standout players for the most part. And I think what sets you apart in 1A are the three, four, and five men. Whereas, you know, obviously college level, it would be your sixth and seventh man. But I think it's the support staff that can make a difference in 1A basketball in Maryland for sure. I know we're bouncing back and forth to talk about to the Hall of Fame nomination and talk about being one of the most decorated athletes. What were some of those honors that you remember off the top of your head that they had mentioned? That I received? Yes. Oh, Lord. Um, well, I mean, okay, so my, in terms of like team, my freshman, sophomore, and senior year um, soccer, we won the regional championship and went to state semifinals. So in the midst of that, I led the state at one point in goals scored, Bayside Athlete of the Year, uh, first team conference for, uh, I think, basketball as well a few times. My senior year, it was like Mason Dixon Athlete of the Year, which I think covered a huge bit of the shore, but I don't know. I, d I never paid attention to those things, honestly. I mean, it was nice don't get me wrong, it's nice to be recognized. It feels good, but it wasn't something I really kept track of. I don't know. Like we my mom kept all the clippings from the newspaper and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. None that really stick out. I think the things that stick out for me are honestly the team memories. I mean, one of the biggest memories for me, and you could ask any girl that played soccer at that point, was if I said the Bennett game, they would know exactly what I was talking about. And we had come from down three nothing and with like 19 minutes left in the game and then ended up coming back and scoring, went into double overtime and then won the game. So like that moment to me is just stuck in my memory and not the individual stuff. As you continue your teaching career, what are some of ultimate goals? Do you want to move to an administrative position eventually, guidance counselor, things like that? 
I'm very happy right now what I'm doing. I do have my master's. I just received my master's in school counseling. So that would probably be my next place if I were going to go. I don't see myself doing administration, but school counseling would be like probably my next stop. But I'm really happy doing what I'm doing with special ed. And now working at the technical high school is a whole different animal. So that's really cool to see kids engaged in a different way than in the other high schools. So yeah, I think I'm good where I am. I don't ever want to just kind of settle into something, but I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And it gives me the ability to coach and provides me with, you know, the time and all that. So so lighten things up a little. I normally do this with guests. I always ask people, if there were a movie done about your life, who would you have play you? And who is the celebrity that people say you most look like? Oh, my God. So the celebrity that I most look like, kids have been saying this recently, but, and it's probably my haircut and the way I act. But um, the kids are like, oh, my God, Miss Keith is like Ellen. Miss Keith is like Ellen. But I might dance a little bit every once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, just... <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I have this meme. I'll I'll send it to you because it cracks me up. But I don't know who I would get to play me. I have zero clue. I don't know. Because I know some people will talk about someone who can really pull off their personality. Some people say someone who looks like them. And it's always interesting to get a different perspective of what people would say because I know so many people say so many different things. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would have to be... I don't know. I don't know what I would choose. Looks or or whatever else. I don't know. There's so many things that you've been able to do, be a teacher, be able to coach. How do you try to stay in shape, especially your post-playing days? Oh, my goodness. I I don't. I go through spurts. I go through spells of, like, working out, trying to work out after school or uh, walking kind of regularly, things like that. But I don't take fitness super, super seriously. And in the midst of this COVID-19 thing, I have all the time in the world to be doing that. And instead I'm just walking to the refrigerator. So that's my cardio right now. Um, but I do like to work out. I've never liked just running. I've never liked that stuff. Like I like a little bit more competition. I like a little bit more um, communal type things. Like even yoga, like I did yoga for a little while in a class and that was cool because it was a class. Um, but Beachbody's where it's at right now. That's easy. Put it in the video and 30 minutes and you're done. Yeah, I remember I was doing co-ed softball. The most frustrating mm -hmm. thing is I would hardly play because I was coaching and making sure that the scorecard was right. Because when you put somebody else in charge of the scorecard, it's like a pen exploded all over it. And, and I'm like, yeah. like the record-keeping type. So basically, I know that was one of the things I would do. Eventually, I would play more times I'm doing practice, so I'm actually getting a workout there. But since then, I mm -hmm. haven't done any of that stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, walk in the door. Yeah. And like, yeah, I did play some co-ed softball stuff. And I had a great time doing it, but I realized I've lost a couple steps. Like, you know, and there's an added frustration where you go like, oh, I would have had that. Like two years ago, I would have had that. The competitive edge was still there? Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the one thing. I am never comparing when I was like coaching a co-ed softball team to what you guys do, but I would get this like feeling in the pit of my stomach if I needed enough women to play because it would be, okay, you need at least four women. And then you start getting the calls Sunday morning. It's like, uh, I can't make it. Or we're in route. And then you got like the five yeah. to ten minute grace period. Of, like, And then you start trying to play. And it's like, okay, what does my doomsday lineup look like where we barely have enough people to play? 
And it's like you end up recruiting more women than men, so you make sure you don't end up having to forfeit games because that was all. Yeah, problem. yeah. Planning ahead. That's exactly what it is. That's part of the reason the coaching thing, too, is a major part of the coaching is trying to build character in people. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, you talk about not going to games and, you know, we're joking about it and stuff, but that's a big part of it, too, is, is some responsibility and some ownership and hopefully so that he can make better decisions as young women. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. What are some ways that people can reach out to you via social media or things like that? I don't know if, if you're big on the social media, which is interesting because I always feel like, especially while we're millennials or classified as millennials, a lot of the people I know, especially you know, a lot of people in high school, don't do the social media thing outside of maybe Facebook, occasionally Twitter. But what are ways people can reach out to you? Well, I'm not on Twitter. I don't tweet. Um, but my Facebook is just my Facebook, like, you know, my name. But we do have a girls basketball Instagram. But it's just, like, updates and little pictures and little clips of things as we went through the season. Um, I have my own personal Instagram, too, but I don't know what that is either. See how bad it is? <laughs> And I think the biggest thing is that, especially when it comes to things like that, especially now that we don't have as, back then, maybe in the 90s, without cell phone cameras and things like that, having pictures to capture those moments are really tough to have. But nowadays, Instagram and everything makes it a lot easier to do that. Yeah, I try to balance it just in general in my life, but it's good to document that stuff. But I try to be in the moment, too, with the regional championship stuff. Like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I hope somebody's taking a picture of this. I hope I get it. But in general, in life, I try to just be in the moment, not recording it through my phone, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, Courtney, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I look forward to doing this again. Yeah, man, I could talk all day. <laughs> See, that's a Courtney I remember, especially from, from high school. I know there's so much to talk about and there's so many different things. And, uh... Listen, interviews, something happens with interviews, but like then we started talking, and I'm like, oh, I'm just talking to Earl. It's all good. Oh, yeah, and I definitely appreciate it. And we definitely got to do this again because I know there's so many things we can always talk about, especially what your sports-free distractions are right now that we're all sort of stuck indoors. Oh, yeah, because there's so much to watch on ESPN. Courtney Keith's lengthy list of accolades is nothing short of phenomenal. And for her, there's still much more she's hoping to achieve with the Eagles. If you like this interview, don't forget to comment and subscribe. Think someone you know might like this episode? Don't forget to share. And as always, you can listen to previous episodes of the show anywhere where podcasts are heard, including Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Podbean, and more. Next time, we'll keep the basketball train going as my next guest will be former Stephen Decatur High School and University of Maryland Eastern Shore basketball player, Dayona Godwin. Godwin will discuss what led to her decision playing Division I basketball close to home, the competition level of high school girls basketball in the Bayside Conference's South Division, and UMES's late run in the MEAC tournament that was halted by COVID-19. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening, be safe, and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.